Welcome to this episode of Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose with Ellen Barton, where you'll hear thought-provoking discussion, inspirational stories, and get action tips for creating the life of your dreams. Hello, and welcome to Ready, Set, Grit, Your Life on Purpose, a weekly podcast in which we talk about the secrets behind living the life you've always dreamed of. I'm Ellen Barton, and today my guest is Jock Davis. Jock is an entrepreneur. He's a life and business coach, and he also helps people grow their Facebook audiences and teaches them to leverage those audiences to help grow their businesses. Jock, I am thrilled that you're here today. It is great to be here, Ellen. I've been looking forward to this, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, me too. Ever since we first spoke, I knew you had to be on the show, and so <laughs> thanks for saying <laughs> yes. Um, and one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you on here is that um, you and I are both entrepreneurs. You know, we both work with entrepreneurs, and I what I liked so much about your message is that it's about like quality, not necessarily quantity. So you were you were saying, you know, you're you can create this great life without having to work 80 hours or more a week. And and before we, we hopped at, at the beginning of this call, um, you were like, well, I've got a lot of things to do, but I think I'm just going to take a little time for myself. And that's so refreshing. Well, thank you. I, I try to make that a regular part of my life. And the thought that you, one does not have to work uh, 80 hours a week really just came out of the way I had been living my life and coming to the conclusion that there's got to be a better way and, and there's definitely a happier way <laughs> because, uh, you know, uh, although I really enjoyed what I did, my stress level was very, very high and I realized that I was really beating on my body yeah. physically, also beating on myself emotionally. So um, that led me to kind of rethink things. Yeah, take us back to that place where you were working crazy hours like many of us do or have done. Um, what was what was life like back then for you? Well, I, you know, like I said, I really enjoyed what I, you know, what I did and what I do. I really do enjoy it. I can't imagine working that hard and not enjoying it or working that hard and your only goal or aspiration is money. That would be very, very difficult. So I really loved what I did. Um, and what was what was that that you did? At the time, I was helping uh, small small and medium-sized manufacturers to source product overseas. So they would come to me with a problem saying that, hey, here's this product component, uh, sub-assembly that they need uh, manufactured. Now, obviously, they've got to take some costs out of it. And I would handle that whole process of finding a manufacturer who could meet their quality standards and produce the, uh, the part to their technical specification that was overseas. I would do all the logistics of getting it uh, back here into the country, all the transportation, all the uh, dealing with customs and get it delivered to their door. So they wouldn't have to know anything about sourcing product or components overseas. They would just turn to me and I would uh, kind of a one stop kind of alleviates all your problems. Mm, Yeah. I can imagine that that would be, that would keep you busy. Were Were you doing a lot of traveling then too? I was doing a lot of traveling. I was uh, over in uh, Asia, over in China, uh, you know, fairly often. And uh, one of the things, of course, about working in that part of the world is there's basically a 12-hour time difference. So when it is 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. here in the States, 
or in North America, it, it's, you know, it's 9 a.m. there in China. They're just getting started. So I spent a lot of nights sleeping in the recliner as I was waiting for, you know, answers to come back that would come back in the middle or the beginning of their day, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., which was, you know, late in the, late in the day for me. So, yeah, it was, it was hectic, to say the least. Oh, wow. How long did you do that for? Oh my goodness, that that uh, the company is still in existence, but at that level that I was pushing uh, my body and, and and growing the company, that was probably as I try to do some slight math in my head, that was probably about eight nine years. Mm, wow, that that would take a toll. So. I yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And is that so? Um, part of your story is this illness that you experienced. Do you correlate that to that, you know, kind of intense level of working? Well, there certainly isn't the uh, scientific data that says uh, stressing your body to that degree will bring on uh, illness. But there's certainly data that says it doesn't make illness any any better. And it certainly contributes to it once you have it. So there's arguments either way uh, about that. I I believe that it certainly contributed to illness. the onset of, of the illnesses that I had, that, that my body was just under too much stress uh, for a very long period of time. And, it, and I had been like that even beforehand. I mean, I have always been a worker. I, I you know, I started I, my first business, I believe, when I was about seven or eight years old. And uh, I have always had some type of an entrepreneurial venture uh, my entire life if not one or two, more than two at the same time, my entire life. It's just so sleep and, you know, that that elusive nine or eight, nine, ten hours sleep that they talk about. I had never seen that or experienced that. Mm. But then so so tell us about so you got, you know, this diagnosis and then you kind of reassessed your priorities and and with everything. So uh, what when did you start to realize you were perhaps you know, not as healthy as you had then? Well, I was formally diagnosed in 2009. Uh, before that, though, there were, there were ways that the disease was presenting itself. And, uh, and, and I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer and then uh, kidney failure. And the disease began to present itself in, in the form of some pains in my, in my skeletal uh, system, in my hip, and so on and so forth. Uh, being who I was and and keeping the schedule that I did uh, kept, I just thought it was some type of a muscle pull or some type of you know just inflammation, whatever. Uh, I was returning from China uh, at the time, uh, had that occurrence, uh, laughed about it to myself, saying that I was far too young to to be getting a hip replacement, so it had to be something else. And uh, got back here, uh, got back to the States, and it wouldn't go away. And as they did more and more testing, of course, they uh, discovered that it was multiple myeloma cancer. And uh, so that was the, the start of me obviously changing my life. Now, I was forced, part of me was forced to change my life. Physically, I just could not do the things that I could do before. I was just literally exhausted. Uh, but that really forced me into to thinking about things differently. It wasn't just that, okay, I can't do this, but it really gave me a chance to kind of sit back and reflect. And I've always been kind of reflective. And it got me uh, an opportunity, bought me an opportunity to really look at that. 
So I really want to get into that whole, you know, idea of your mindset and, you know, how you, your general philosophies about life. But just getting back to that diagnosis, when you got that, when you heard that news, that must have been just, you know, one of those moments, terrifying moments. Like, how did you deal with it? What was, what was that experience like? Well, for me, uh, I, this may seem unusual, but I had thought of the fact that if I ever got diagnosed with cancer, how I would react. I, I don't know why, but I think I saw a couple uh, people in my life uh, either get diagnosed with it or someone that they loved got diagnosed with cancer, and I watched their reactions and what it did to their life. And <clears throat> I kind of used that as a model and said, you know, I really don't want to react that way. I really don't want it to get this news and have that be the end so to speak, of life as I know it. I really don't want to get that news and then start making uh, rash uh, decisions because of that news. Mm -hmm. So when they told, I, you know, and, and that wasn't something that I preoccupied myself with, but it had certainly occurred to me. And so when they told me, uh, I really w was at a point of, okay, so what do we do next? Because this is not, this is not over for me. This is not, it's not over. It's not the end. This is not, uh, this is not the you know, the, the, the end of all life that I know it, it's like, okay, you know, there's certainly going to be changes here. So you tell me, you know, medically, what do we do next? And let's, let's get after it. Let's go. And, and were they like, uh, excuse me, Jack, we, you know, did you just hear us? Or like... Yeah, they were. It, 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 my, my, my oncologist and my nephrologist who I, who I really like, they're both great guys. They're both they just, they just, they're great people. And uh, I remember them kind of looking at me, and I remember what I said to them. And I, I told my oncologist while my nephrologist was standing there, I told him, I said, look, you know, you do that doctor thing that you do. I said, I, 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 I've got the rest of this. But you just, you know, you, you just, you do that part. Don't, don't worry about me and my mental well-being and, and my uh, tenacity, all that. I, I, I'll get the rest of this. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, have strong faith and, and, and just a strong uh, perseverance uh, that has served me well and my family well. My mother went through a, an illness when she was young. She was in the hospital for ooh, 19 months and uh, she survived that when everybody around her perished. I have a younger sister who was born um, with uh, Down syndrome and, and a lot of medical complications from that. And uh, they thought she would only live till she would be about six years old. She lived to be 50. Mm -hmm. So uh, the odds, although I respect the data and the information, uh, but as I told them, those, those odds and statistics mean absolutely nothing to me. They're, they're, they mean nothing to me. They, they're a compilation of numerically what has happened, but they have absolutely no bearing on me in my case, in my situation. Mm. And how, so, so you're, you've gone through treatment, you know, you're, you're doing well now. Yes. I'm doing well. Yeah. Yeah. So how important was that mindset to, um, your eventual recovery? Do you think, because, you know, I, I believe in the power of that personally, that, you know, you've got to focus on, what you got to focus on and not on these really scary statistics and all of that stuff. So how, what was your experience with that? Well, I, I think that is, I think the, the, 
impact of that is enormous. Um, you know, there's data out there that talks about uh, our thinking and how it can affect us, you know, physically, uh, obviously. But I think that the one of the big things about that is just the effect on your own happiness. And, you know, if, if you're sitting there with no hope, <laughs> and, you know, life with no hope is a really horrible place to be. Mm. So if, if you sit there and say, ah, oh, this is what it is. And, uh, you know, it's going to, it's, uh, it's only going to be this well. And it's only going to, I mean, life with no hope is really not a fun place to live. So in, in order just to be at, have some level of peace and enjoy life from day to day, from minute to minute, uh, I think you've got to have hope. You've got to have a, a, an outlook toward the future where you have thoughts of things being better. And maybe that doesn't include you being 100% healed, of course, uh, but that, yeah, I can still have a good life. I've got to change some things. I'm going to do some things differently. I'm going to maneuver some things. I'm going to reprioritize some things. But ahead of me is a great life. It is just greatness defined differently. Mm, I like that. That's a good way to put it. How how did you um, alter some things, and what were some of the um, things that came up for you, and and maybe um, what took what what took priority that maybe didn't have it before? Well, you know, the things that I altered uh, in actuality were the things that uh, should have been in place anyway. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I mean, they were the they, they, it was the way that I should have been living my life anyway. And when I say should have, I'm speaking from the point of view of if you slowed me down and asked me, I probably would have told you that those things were important. Uh, but it was kind of well, we'll get to those later. Mm. Uh, and so now it was now it was later. And so what became a priority? Well, let me let me back up for a second. Uh, a friend of mine asked me, well, what 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 would be a, a perfect day for you? You know, now in the midst of all of this and, you know, when I was struggling with uh, adjusting to the disease and 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 the limitations that it put on my life. And uh, I described my perfect day as getting up in the morning, uh, having a cup of coffee, uh, you know, going to my desk maybe doing a little uh, reading or a little work, whatever that might be. Uh, maybe talking to someone and seeing if I could, you know, kind of help them through some issue or encouraging them a bit. And so sharing, sharing something with someone, uh, then getting up after I've done some of that, going outside, taking a walk in the middle of the day, you know, meditating, uh, you know, as I walked and uh, reflecting on, you know, what's going on in my life, what's important, uh, focusing in on, okay, what am I going to do today for my family? What nice thing or what little thing can I keep in mind to do uh, today for my family or for someone else? Uh, then maybe coming back home, uh, relaxing a little bit, doing a little work, whatever work might be or might consist of uh, for me. Uh, and then by the time people arrived home, you know, having uh, something little, uh, set aside for them to uh, welcome them, you know, home and start a conversation about how was their day and, you know, what did they do today? That was a perfect day for me. Mm. Uh, and I realized a perfect day didn't consist of all these big, huge things. I got to be in this house and this car and it's uh, no, a perfect day 
consisted of being so conscious and self-aware of how I was spending my time that I was allocating it in a way that the important people and, and things in my life, they got time every day and they got undistracted, undivided time every day. Mm, that's so that's so insightful, Jock. I think we can all learn from that, um, certainly. Hey, have you been able to achieve that? I have. Now, it's a struggle. You know, there, there, there are days where my, uh, <laughs> my old personality, which is just like, go, 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 yeah. go, go. There are days where that, you know, kind of can kind of kick in. And before I know it, you know, I've spent, you know, an exorbitant amount of time kind of researching, you know, some nuance about why does this happen and what's the, you know, I've gone, I've gone down a rabbit hole a little bit, but, um, the key, and I think that always happens to everyone. I think the key is how, you know, what's the mean time in between those uh, interruptions and what's the mean time it takes you to restore yourself back to a more balanced uh, schedule. So those things are going to happen. Can you reduce that? Can you lengthen that time between those incidents when they do happen and, and after they happen? Can you reduce the time it takes you to get back on schedule? Mm. Uh, so yeah, they definitely happen, and uh, but I I I can catch myself now and say mm, you're a little out of step, you're a little out of step. This you know, what's the important things in life? I have a sticker, uh, you know, we put up these little sticky notes and that we use for all sorts of things, you know, to remind us that our taxes are due or whatever else. But uh, <laughs> but there's one that I keep on my monitor, uh, uh, and and it also pops up on my phone. And it, it pops up several times a day, actually, on my phone. Uh, and it says, are you doing the important things? Ah, uh, that's a good one. And it'll just pop up. And at that moment, I'll say, okay, what am I doing right now? Is this really one of the important things that I should be doing? Uh, and if it's not, drop it. Just drop it right there where it is and, and get back to whatever's important. Love that. I'm writing that down. <laughs> It's really good. Um, Now, all of that said, and and certainly there's a lot of wisdom in that realization that those simple things are the most important things. But all of that said, uh, do you have like a bucket list of other items you're you're looking to check off? Or are you really focusing on these small moments? Um, I really focus on the small moments, but there are the small moments when done well turn into big moments. Uh, an example, uh, a small moment of someone being conscious of, you know, spending the appropriate time every day with their spouse. You know, when they come home, I don't want to be divided and, you know, doing five minute, million different things. I want to be intent, attentive about, you know, their needs of their day. And when you focus on those small moments, it builds to big moments. And now, it becomes easy and you start creating this vision of, oh, yeah, next year, let's go to Prague. And, uh, and you know, and they become real and not just this kind of a, okay, I dream and take this vacation and we're scrambling and save. It just becomes a natural building process of things that you want to share together. So uh, I, I have a few of those. Like I want to, uh, you know, I haven't taken my son to China uh, with all my uh, trips there uh, when I was you know doing business there he was younger and now he's at a point where 
I want to take him over to China and allow him to experience it uh, from the point of view of me not working, but just going around through the through the country and, and showing him some of the places that I've been and what I experienced when I was there and what we were doing. So not all the tour stuff either. We'll do some of that, but mm-hmm. just to to absorb life and business in China. Yeah, no, that's great. That's that sounds wonderful. You know, and and I had a uh, you know I, I had another item that uh, and I completed that one. And this one when I was actually inspired by my son, which is why it triggered. Um, so I I had a when I was diagnosed, I went through a couple of procedures and I had a big procedure in, in in Philadelphia, and it was very stressful for me. And it was yeah, it's, it was not it was not pleasant. <laughs> it was tough. It was really tough. And uh, so one day my son comes up to me and says, you know, you, got, you have to go back to Philadelphia. And I'm like, what? And he says, you have to go back to Philadelphia. And I, yeah, at first there was a big, huge emotional reaction. I'm like, well, you know, you don't understand. I'm not ready for that. You know, that, hey, hey, that was a lot, you know, uh, yeah, you know, and I realized that, you know, after, you know, uh, kind of shutting him down, you know, about five minutes later, you know, I realized that the kid's absolutely right, you know, uh, because I've always advocated that, you know, you 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 return to the the scene of uh, of a defeat. You you build yourself and you go and you go back there at some point, at some time you go back. You don't necessarily have to play the same game again, but you face it and you go back and you only not from the point of view of that you need to beat it. But from the point of view of to feel what type of emotions and thoughts and and energy is there so that you can understand yourself better. Uh, So one of those great things was I returned to Philadelphia with my son. Him and I went back there. We had just made a weekend out of it. I had a great weekend. And it was really it was really uh, cleansing and freeing to return back to this place where, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that I would not (laughs) was Mm. not going to leave. So, yeah. Did you actually go back to the hospital or was it? I did. Oh, you did. did. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Went back to the hospital, walked the halls, stood in the waiting areas where I stood, stood in the the lobby of the hospital and just watched people go back and forth, coming in and out, Uh, took the taxi cab, you know, to the same hospital from the hotel where I stayed at before. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to feel it all. Oh, yeah, that must have been hugely cathartic. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, that's, that's, that's very cool. So having, like, experienced all that you have, what's your thought on, um, do you think that people come to their human forms with some kind of a purpose? Do you think we create our own purpose? Is it is it predetermined? Um do our struggles lead us to the purpose or what, what's your thought on all of that? I, I think we do have a purpose. And obviously, you know, when you get into conversations like that, those are one of the great conversation areas in, you know, <laughs> in human history. But I think we do have a purpose. And I think the, and the importance of, the, of purpose is that's how one obtains their or that's how one finds happiness. Um, that's how one finds happiness. And your purpose will always be, this is again my belief, your purpose will always be uh, beyond yourself. It'll, it'll, it's beyond yourself. It's more than you. Mm-hmm. It's something bigger, more than you. It's not, it's not you. And 
and our own our own self interest and our own you know uh, self own desires. It's something bigger. And so when you find that, um, you know, when you find that and when you locate that, you have an opportunity to really kind of stride into happiness. And do you think that's achievable, attainable by anybody? Um, you know, there's people I've heard who will argue the point that they've come into the world with very difficult circumstances. Um, they, you know, suffered whatever as a child and, um, you know, therefore could never achieve happiness. And, and I'll argue with them, but, you know, do you think that that happiness, that um, contentment, that purpose is truly attainable to anyone? I do. I do. Now, when I talk about happiness, that does not mean we will be without trials or challenges or just some things that are just downright unpleasant. Um, you know, those aren't going away. But, yeah, I do believe that everyone can uh, achieve that because it really is a state of mind. It is not about my circumstances and what I have around me, um, you know, we would not see people who are more well-off economically um, engaged in as, as high a percentage of a destructive life as we see, you know, when you mm -hmm. look at the data. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's about a mindset. It's a mindset. Now, when, when I say a mindset, I don't mean just, oh, just start thinking this way. No, you've got to look at your, you've got to get down to your core values and, and, and what your core values are. And it's not a mind game that you just play with yourself to convince yourself that you're happy. You have to have some deep core values, and then you have to live in conjunction with those values. And I think happiness occurs when we are out of alignment with those core values. And those core values, again, will be values that are bigger than ourselves. Like our core if my core value is just to make myself happy and be you know, indulgent with whatever brings me pleasure. Uh, that's nice, but that's not really helping anybody else in the world. And you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of that, uh, but it's not going to bring sustainable happiness because it's all about you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you use that example of, you know, some, not everyone, of course, but some people who have achieved um, great economic success, sometimes they don't have a spiritual, you know, centeredness or, or, um, wholeness or you know they haven't found that purpose and you know then they describe this emptiness right this lack of whatever and so it like all of that has made me really think about what success is what does success mean you know it, it's not just about money it's not just about stuff so much more than that I, I'm just curious like do you have a definition of success that you like to think about um, yeah success is Success for me is living a, a values-based life. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's living a values-based life, and 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 my and hopefully those values um, that I focus on are bringing uh, joy, relief, um, assistance, uh, encouragement to others. You know what I think is that I think I think that we all 
can achieve that. I think it's within all of us. Yet I, I see and have experienced that as humans, we overthink things and we get in our own way and we mess mm-hmm. it up, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. right? Yes. How yes. can we stop from doing that? I believe that's a, a matter of us not. I mean, there's a lot of factors there, but one of the factors I believe is uh, we're not humble enough. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to figure this thing life out you know, so to speak. So here we are trying to figure out life and, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? And and so we're going into this, you know, kind of, you know, getting reflective, going to this cerebral state and thinking about all that. It's really quite simple. We're probably, you know, we're overanalyzing it. It's simple. We're really not. And the humility comes in when we say, you're not smart enough to figure this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not smart enough to figure this out. It's really quite simple. You know, can you be kind can you be loving? Can you be caring? Can you, you know, can you be merciful? Can you be patient? You know, when you start to just exercise those qualities and that's all there is and be humble enough to know that, oh, I'm not going to come up with some, no, we're not going to come up with some uh, deeper, profound way to, you know, to reach it. That's when we get ourselves in trouble. We actually think uh, we're clever enough to figure this out it's been figured out it's it's some, it's some core values and just live by them simply that's it yeah yeah and anything else i come up with is just you know i'm just adding confusion you know i had to, you had the answer davis and now you just made it a <laughs> muddle you know <laughs> yeah exactly and you know i think the ego comes into it too where we're we think that we're so special and we're so entitled yes. a lot of us think we're so entitled and yes and we forget that we're part of this bigger picture, this collective yes. thing. Yes. You know. Yes. And, and it's very, and I, I understand why people do it. I mean, you know, we, if we look back in time, sometimes people have been uh, trampled upon as far as being listened to or being paid any attention to. So, again, you, you know, in attempts to build people's uh, self-esteem and self-worth, uh, obviously we want them to say, well, you know, look at what do you, what do you want and look at your, your thoughts and your desires. And so that has certainly has value. We have to think something of ourselves. We have, a ta- have to have a certain amount that we think of ourselves. But I think then we've accelerated that too far. And now it becomes about self. When it becomes about self, it, selfishness does not lead to happiness. It just doesn't, it just doesn't, you know, selfishness leads to us, you know, slowly and systematically destroying all the great things around us and the great people around us. So, uh, yeah, I I, I think it, you know, it requires, as we talked about humility and and being able to, um, being able to understand yourself, but not focus always on yourself. Yeah, I think like sometimes in America in particular, we um, put value on the wrong things, you know. Oh yeah. Focus on the wrong things, and and it I, we're seeing a reflection of that now in society. You know, it it um, it's not pretty. It's interesting. <laughs> it, it's interesting, and I I really do believe that there is an enlightenment um, on some level coming out of a lot of the stuff that's going on these days. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I see a continual evolution, even though there's a lot of weird stuff. 
Uh, but people are becoming more aware, I think. Think. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Did you, were you in China enough and interacting with um, Chinese people enough to notice, um, you know, cultural differences on this level that you can speak to? Or was your your um, time there more, you know, in the Hilton kind of thing? One of my, uh, one of the stories that I tell about being in China, uh, and it spoke to uh, cultural differences. So my my partner there, uh, my business partner, uh, her and her husband used to live here in the states. She is she's born you know, born and raised in China, but she you know did some time here in the states, uh, did schooling here for uh, a while, and they lived here for a while. Lived in New York, and they I remember she called me and said, "Hey, Jock, we're moving back to China because we." Uh, enjoy the quality of life there better. We think it's a better quality of life. Now, I, I had been to China uh, by that time, and I, I remember, at, and this was some time ago, but I remember scratching my head a little bit, saying, okay, a better quality of life. Mm. You know, I'm like, okay. And the next time I went back to China, by, by uh, that time, they had already relocated back there. So we were all going out to dinner. We went out to dinner, and... Uh, it was a nice warm night. Uh, we were in Guangzhou, and uh, there's this m- mountain, wh- which whose name escapes me right now, in the center of Guangzhou. And there's hotel, excuse me, there's restaurants that go up the mountain. I think there's a university on the side of the mountain, and you know, it's right in the middle of the city. So we had finished our dinner. It probably was about 10, 11 o'clock. It's about 11 o'clock at night, and she asked me, "Did you? I wanted to, you know, kind of go up the mountain." Uh, it was a nice night. And so I'm like, yeah. And so they take me up to the top of the mountain. So we get to the kind of the top of this mountain in the middle of the city. It's probably about midnight uh, by that time. There are people of all ages on the on this mountain, you know, and there's areas, of course, and they're playing chess. People are doing, uh, you know, exercising. People are playing uh, hacky sack, you know, mm. <laughs> that they looped me into a game of that at the time. And uh, of all ages, and they were walking up the mountain themselves. There were, there were, you know, I remember seeing a couple women. They had to be 70, 80 years old. I mean, elderly women. And they're just walking up the mountain, you know, themselves them and their friends and, and chatting and whatever. And I looked around and I said, okay, I kind of get it. When mm. I get what you meant when you said a different quality of life, uh, because I can't imagine, you know, Guangzhou is a huge city. Uh, I can't imagine being in a enormous city in the United States on a mountain in the middle of the city at about midnight and people just feeling completely at ease being mm-hmm. out there at night. Uh, mm. So, yeah, that, it was a, it was a cultural difference. It was you know, a meeting place and, a, and an exercise point and a, a point for people in different age groups to kind of interact. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, that was a experience that kind of altered my outlook on things. Yeah. And as we know that, you know, social interaction and support and all that's so important to mental health and to longevity and, you know, all kinds of things, probably physical health too. So it's a good story. Thank you. Jack, 
I I have like gotten through about half of my questions only, but I'm kind of like out of time. So you you, okay, might, you might have to come back sometime. I can do that. <laughs> I would I would love to do that. It's as you know, it's hard to pin me down, but I enjoy this once I get pinned yeah. down. And yeah, yeah. So, but yes, I would do. I would gladly do that if uh, if if your audience will tolerate me. I would gladly do that. <laughs> I'm sure they would welcome you. Um, before we go, is there any last thoughts you want to leave us with? Uh, you know, not, I mean, just enjoy, enjoy the simple things in your life, uh, and put a bigger priority on the simple things in your life and the people in your life value the people in your life who are truly there and make sure they always understand and feel how much you really love them, regardless of what, you know, may be popular or what others may do. If there are people in your life that you care about, that you value, make sure they know that, that they feel that, and you are unafraid to show and display that to anybody, anywhere, any place, anytime. Mm, beautiful. Thank you, Doc. You're welcome. Thank you. It's great having you. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you all for listening to today's show. My guest was Jock Davis. He's a coach, trainer, and speaker, and you can find this complete interview and links to Jock's website and social media pages on our website, readysetgrit.com. Thank you again for joining us and check in again next Friday when we release another episode with tips on turning your daydream into a phenomenal success. Thanks for tuning in to Ready, Set, Grit, your life on purpose with Ellen Barton. Look us up online at readysetgrit.com where you'll find daily inspiration, links to our social media, and where you can access our ebooks and online classes. Ready, Set, Grit. Inspired actions, real results.